Welcome to the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. In this podcast, we're going to see what lessons IT can learn from OT about IoT. And to help us with that list of acronyms, I've enlisted the help of Chris Blask, the Global Director of Industrial and IoT Security at Unisys. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I mean, looking forward to the conversation. So, Chris, the question at hand is, what can IT learn from OT when rolling out IoT? Before you reveal the answer to that question, I would just like to take a step back and, and explain what is it we mean by IoT? The Internet of Things is a term that was coined um, five, six, seven years uh, ago, perhaps. In 2019, I made a habit of asking people who are outside the industry if, if they've ever heard of it. And the answer for dozens, at least, you know, scores of people was, was no, they never have never heard of IoT. And inside the industry, it means several things. You know, there's the IIoT, the Industrial Internet of Things. Uh, there's IT itself, Information Technology, OT, Operational Technology. IT moves data, OT moves things. And through that divide, we talk about you know, SCADA systems and critical infrastructure you know, as separate from our data management systems and financial systems and so forth. So IoT is at one time several things. You know, in, the, in the common usage of the word, what we're talking about is embedded computers in places you wouldn't have expected them. I mean, literally in light bulbs, in, in you know, Alexa dots, in your garage door opener and everywhere. So the, the entire home automation uh, uh, phenomenon that's, that's just begun is all about IoT. In the OT world, in operational technology, in factories, in manufacturing, uh, Industry 4.0 is an instance of IoT um, where we're talking about embedding little computers not in light bulbs or home automation, but inside the rollers of a conveyor belt, uh, which turns out to be a really big thing. Because if you use conveyor belts as a large part of your, your business process, you will shut down the entire thing and manually walk along and check the bearings and all of them because if one burns out and catches on fire while you're trying to be productive, that can be a bad thing. So predictive maintenance and all that implies, uh, you know, embedding these tiny little computers in hundreds and thousands of tiny little things inside the manufacturing process. You know, that's going to provide, it's beginning already to provide advantages that if you do not uh, adopt them, your competitors will. So security in this context ends up being a, a barrier to adopting competitive uh, uh, technologies and approaches to business. You know, that will lower your cost, increase your productivity. So it ends up being less about, uh, uh, you know, did you make good or bad security choices, um, but, but rather did you make those choices more or less quickly than your competition? Now, when some technologies are invented, uh, I think people, some people immediately think about how to secure that technology. For example, uh, I don't think it was too long after realizing the potential power of nuclear energy that people realized they had to build in some protections to security or some really bad things could happen. But I think the opposite is actually more often true. I, I, for example, I'm thinking about uh, most early operating systems that ran on PCs, like Microsoft Windows as an example. I mean, how many versions of that were really totally open? you had to explicitly go in and lock it down yourself. Now, by contrast, today's operating systems are, are locked down by default, and you have to manually go in and unlock each feature. So, so Chris, what about IoT? Lots of energy is being spent on how to use IoT in factories, banks, power grids, even our homes. 
have we built security into IoT like we've done with nuclear power, or are we still figuring out how to securely deploy IoT? IoT is just happening. You know, we as security people always traditionally have a lot of thoughts and cautions before something starts. And sometimes things work out that way and we, we follow them along. Uh, this is not one of those. You know, IoT is happening under its own power. It challenges a lot of things that, that traditionally you know, we talk about. Well, what really is the security challenge with IoT? Well, the single problem with IoT is really scale. We're looking at adding large numbers of devices um, that we can't touch individually and we have to deal with them as groups. So you talk about the scale of IoT, the sheer numbers as uh, what's creating the security challenge. It, it's just too big to secure one at a time. So I'm, I'm looking for an analogy in history. I mean, as you look back at technology, Chris, have there been examples of, of technology rollouts in the past that uh, forced us to think about security in new ways? You know, re reflecting back to the early days, for me, the first security conference of any sort I went to, uh, there was Marcus Radin was there and Dennis Ritchie, you know, the, one of the authors of Unix. And I was a young guy and, you know, sort of uh, cowed by all this to a certain extent. You know, all these people really know what's going on. And the first, you know, engagement where I said anything and, and got in a, a bit of an um, argument with everybody there was whether it was possible to have a firewall without reading all the rules yourself, without reading all the, every line of code. And everybody in the room, 100 or maybe 200 people said, absolutely not. You know, there's no way I would have a firewall anywhere unless I personally could read every line of code. And I stuck up my little hand and I said, you know, my mom needs one. She's not reading the code. There's more people out there. There's more organizations that need firewalls than there are people even qualified to read the code. And when we start getting into, you know, not a hundred or a couple hundred firewalls in the world, but millions and millions and millions, even if that was the answer, you know, the statistical failure rate is so high that it's, you know, you, it can't be relied on. Um, and it, it circled around, it was an interesting conversation, you know, as a side note, I had Marcus as a advisor with Pratigo, a SIM company, uh, started with a couple of people. And uh, 15 years later, and we're driving to the airport one day, and in one of those awkward silences, you know, he said, you know, you remember that when we first met? I just wanted to say you're right. And I have various little statuary awards for my career, but uh, I got Marcus to admit he was wrong just once. Okay, I, I see the connection you're making. Uh, very few people could, you know, read and understand the source code of their firewall and determine if it has a security flaw or not. And an enterprise might have, you know, hundreds of firewalls at the most. But that same enterprise might have thousands or even hundreds of thousands of IoT devices. So how do we begin to secure all those IoT devices? So there's, there's a lot to be taken away from the, the structures and standards that have been developed to this date. You know, segmentation and separation is something that logically has to be done, uh, particularly as we get to further integrated scale. In as much as physical separation is outside the economic reality for most applications, you know, take the lesson of those standards uh, the people who come before us who developed IEC 62443, for example, and apply it in a convergent environments, you know, as for example, with cryptographic zoning with stealth, with some methodology where you can have large numbers of devices on a shared network and still treat them as if it was a separate physical network. So what's an example where there might be a large number of IoT devices used in, or in the real world? And then as a result of that, what might be some of the challenges in communicating to them in a secure way? 
you know, looking at a sporting facility, for example, where you have a very large physical location that'll get tens of thousands of people um, in it at a given time in a highly dynamic environment with high expectations for fan experience. You know, how do you do that? Well, these days you do that with lots and lots of cameras and lots of screens and lots of devices and lots of IoT basically woven into the uh, fabric of the, of the facility. And that would challenge, again, the same infrastructures from 10 years ago, where you'd run a separate physical network for the, the, the vendors in the concourse and run a separate physical network, uh, perhaps for the, the staff that is operating the facility and have perhaps a separate uh, guest Wi-Fi network. Well, you just take all of those numbers of devices we were building for 10 years ago, you know, and multiply them times 100 or 1,000. You know, can you actually afford to put physical networks in? Um, is there even space in the, in the wiring conduits for it? No. So we have to get to this convergence stage, and we have to find a way to separate things. And, and physical segmentation is, is not a guarantee of security either. Now, you've also been working on a project in Guyana in South America, um, and they have the luxury of pretty much starting from scratch in terms of IoT infrastructure. So what might we learn from their plans for IoT? Sure, Guyana is a, a, a perfect example. So this is a very small South American country with 800,000 people that was barely second world um, as of 12 to 24 months ago. Um, they effectively ran into $100 billion worth of oil and immediately had all of their infrastructure hacked. Uh, so last February, I was down there with the team uh, to respond to that and, and helping, you know, Unisys and others have been helping uh, um, guide the various stakeholders, the oil companies and the, the government inside uh, uh, inside Guyana. And in looking at, at their infrastructure, they have an opportunity because um, they are so small uh, physically and there's not a lot of infrastructure in place. Um, it's come from a very low level and they have a great deal of uh, financial resource coming on board to make significant choices now about how they uh, build it out. So one of our core points of guidance to them is exactly this topic, you know, that instead of taking traditional approaches and building segmented, you know, physically separate uh, networks at the national scale, now is the opportunity to build almost definitely the first in the, in the world, fully converged national network, where IoT and OT and, and things like 5G and so forth are, are built into the fabric. But we're not trying to say that we're going to wall off, we're going to physically segment these devices, these whether they're servers or IoT devices, cameras or phones. You know, we're going to assume that everything's connected to everything else because it is. And we're nonetheless going to use existing global standards. We'll, we'll put legislative processes in place to guide and, where necessary, uh, compel um, organizations of various criticality to put the controls in place. And again, we're, uh, a large part of what we're talking about here, a large part of what people are thinking about with IoT is separation, segmentation, zoning. And again, whether it's using stealth and doing the way we've done with integrations with Honeywell and with Waterfall and with other uh, vendors in this space, Ford and others, or whether it's some other means, you know, the industry has to provide the ability for organizations, you know, in Guyana's case, like a local power operator that's, that's uh, publicly owned, like the international um, petrochemical companies that are um, staking a great deal of revenue and, and commercial value on a stable infrastructure. You know, we have to be able to know that some devices are on one side of the line, some devices are on the other. If that can't be done physically, you know, then it requires the kind of tools that, well, that we built into Stealth and, and the uh, industry, you know, the chairs of the uh, standard boards around the world are accepted.
So of course we have a bias in this, you know, we're the vendor for Stealth, you know, which is the first product recognized for cryptographic zoning by the IEC and, and standards organizations. Well, Chris, this might be a good place to recap. Uh, from what I've heard here, I mean, we all agree IoT is important. Um, enterprises are busy finding all types of applications for it. But unfortunately, it appears IoT is being deployed without much thought given to how to secure it. And the security challenge with IoT is a little different. It's really one of scale, a scale we've never seen before. IT can't possibly secure the vast number of IoT devices through traditional methods. But you said IT can learn from OT. So what, what is that lesson exactly? Well, yes. And you know, when we look at the digital workplace and all that, that implies, we actually see residences with what operational technology has always been. You know, in many ways, OT it has been ahead of IT. We just haven't really been able to see it. And this convergence has been happening for the last 20 years. You know, Windows operating systems, you know, Unix, Linux, and whatnot have been seeping into OT devices. And the kind of sensing and visibility that is you know, intrinsic in a lot of parts of OT are sensing are seeping into you know what we're talking about. It's a digital workplace that you have devices with you that know what's going on, that plug into the environment, that provide you data to help you do your job. And you know the same as you look into the in, into OT um, sectors and markets and organizations, uh, you see you know what what the people inside the offices will will call the digital workplace um, on the belts and in in the in the jackets and the backpacks of the people uh, driving the trucks you know to take care of the the uh, infrastructure. So this is one of these areas where you know you know th these acronyms we use aren't great you know. You know, information technology doesn't really describe what we're talking about in, in IT anymore. And the digital workplace, and, and you know, as a concept, is a good example of that. You know, it's not necessarily about fin financial records; it's about all the data and information in context that you use in a business process. I mean, operational technology is the the current, the last in a long list of acronyms we've used to describe this critical infrastructure uh, thing. But the convergence of these two at the network level, because it's no longer financially possible to maintain these you know, uh, increasingly complex separate uh, network, network infrastructures, is matched with a convergence of business process. In many ways, IT is getting to where OT has always been, and OT is starting to use the tools that IT has been developing. And are there any other ways that IT can learn from OT and planning for the Internet of Things? Well, first, look really closely at the business benefits of the IoT uh, in your space. And where you think this is going to bring you benefits, lean forward into that adoption curve. And from a security perspective, look at the standards and the regulations that have developed in the last uh, decade or two. The IEC 62443 is a good standard for global industrial automation of any sort. Uh, the NERC SIP standards, uh, the North American Electric Grid standards, um, working with uh, the regulator in Columbia, the CNO 1241 standard that just came out uh, late last year, is another good model. So there are structures that, that organizations can adopt to both get the benefits from IoT while setting themselves on the right path to have manageable and affordable and efficient solutions that give them the advantages they're looking for. Well, Chris, I think I'd like to try to take the lessons you're proposing here, that of using standards, using advanced security methods that we're taking from OT, and see if we can apply it to IoT in the digital workplace. Uh, for example, I'm thinking of a consultant that might uh, be flown out to an oil rig in the middle of the ocean. Talk to me about that. Well, that's actually a, a great example because we've had exactly this case. You know, we did uh, our first 
um, integration with an operational technology vendor with Stealth uh, for these purposes was with a product called uh, the Secure Media Exchange, the Honeywell SMX, which is exactly that, which is a tablet. Um, and in fact, we used this to exactly this context and ran into this customer case uh, during the integration improvement concept because this is a tablet that someone could bring onto an oil rig in the middle of the ocean and connect to the local Wi-Fi. And it's used to uh, validate that uh, information on a USB stick you know, is, is safe, you know, that you're not bringing a Stuxnet onto the uh, oil rig. And it does that by connecting through the Wi-Fi on the oil rig back to the outside world to a chunk of uh, Azure cloud space that Honeywell has uh, engineered, and then from there down to a, a data center and to a team of people who are really, 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 really good at that sort of thing. So on the one hand, everybody knows about Stuxnet in the industrial space and USBs moving around are a terrible, terrible thing. On the other hand, if you you are the uh, CISO for this oil company and you're responsible for this rig, you might have a reason to say, who the hell are you coming on here with that um, unknown device to me? And the answer to that um, provided by us and Honeywell to a uh, an actual customer who asked that actual question is, that's a great question. We're glad you asked. You know, the way we've architected that, uh, that this this product is that every individual uh, SMX tablet is part of a single uh, IEC 62443 cryptographic zone that we maintain. So while it is connected to your network, you know, from a standards and regula regulatory perspective, it is not part of the zones. It's not part of the communication pathways or the operational pathways of anything on that rig. And if you wanted, you could have your team on the rig at the same time as that contractor with that tablet, uh, use all your tools and your metasploits and so forth to try to see what's there. And the most you'll see is an encrypted communication from the tablet to the gateway on the rig to the outside world. And that tablet will not respond in any way, you know, at layer two or layer three, you know, to any of the, the, the known tools. So that consultant is uh, whatever task uh, they're performing and whatever device they have with them is showing up on the rig. You know, they are carrying and they're wearing more devices that provide more benefits to doing the job of keeping the, the rig productive and profitable. So how we address uh, the security of those devices, you know, that that uh, consultant is wearing is a, is a challenge that we have to take because one way or another, the, the petrochemical companies and, and their support uh, chain will leverage those technologies to lower costs and be more, more competitive. Now, how can we apply the lessons learned that you've described here that in Guyana, the oil rig um, for a, a bank or a hospital or a retail chain, as each of them tries to roll out IoT for you know, their own purposes, like mobile, mobile payments or medical sensors and things like that? One of the things that IoT is doing is challenging certain precepts that we've developed so far in security. And the, the scale of all the networks we're building, um, even without you know, what we're calling IoT. But IoT adds zeros to the end of that and, and it makes it even more of a stark uh, lesson. The scale of these networks challenges the idea that we can have really good people who are gonna drink a lot of coffee and, and stay up all night long and fix that one thing. You know, if we're going to manually whitelist and blacklist all the things on every segment of every network. Uh, looking in uh, retail, in, in uh, uh, convenience stores and so forth, when you have tens of thousands of locations, and it costs $10 million to drive out to all of your stores in North America and run a separate physical network for the point of sale systems because you want to worry about PCI compliance. But looking at IoT in a retail environment, for example, every little sign you see in, in a, a gas station convenience store, for example, will become an IoT device. 
and its information will change, not just based on the product in the, in the rack, but based on the fact that you're there. And the wearable IoT that you're having is, is interacting and interfacing with the retail environment that you're in. And again, you know, there, there are challenges and, and security risks involved with that. But if you don't do that and people like, like that, then they'll tend to stop across the street at your competitor's gas station. So you have to do these things. So you start lining up, you know, the the application of traditional approaches. You know, I'm going to physically segment these networks. I'm going to go in and have a point of sale physical network with Ethernet cable, you know, that just adds to that $10 million in driving out to the stores once, um, doubles it. So an extra $10 million to have them run, you know, two or three different uh, Ethernet networks. And then, then apply everything that, that IoT, uh, um, or then add in everything that I, IoT implies. And now I'm going to have a an IoT network as well. And what does it even mean when you start breaking it down into IoT devices like coffee makers or whatnot that are serving foods that are federally regulated and you have to make sure you don't kill people and IoT devices that are assigned on a shelf. You know, and then you're going to take all these devices and configure each one of them. Well, you're not configuring every little tag device, you know, that costs 79 cents that goes on every shelf in your store. You know, these have to be grouped, have to be dealt with in the aggregate. So, you know, going down that path, you look at things like the the uh, International Electrotechnical Commission's uh, 62443 standards. Uh, this is a standard from the, the people who've been building standards for industrial automation for more than 100 years. So it's coming from not a cyber, not this a new emergent uh, space of IT that we're t we always talk about from the OT space. This has been doing this for many, many, many decades. And we look at zoning and segmentation. How do we separate things? Uh, traditionally, we've done this physically. And in my example in retail, uh, that doesn't map forward. So we've been working with standards bodies um, over the, these last two or three years to get acceptance for different ways to do segmentation. Uh, a term called cryptographic zoning that we've coined has been accepted in the industry as a standards compliant way to separate um, otherwise converged devices and deal with them as, as individual aggregate groups you know, to the issue of, of scalability. So I can deal with an entire zone of, 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 of rack labels as a unit instead of worrying about you know, the 795 you know, little, little tags in my, in my corner store. Well, before we leave the podcast, Chris, I'd like you to give our listeners a recommendation. What is one thing that they should be doing right now if they want to safely take advantage of IoT? So what organizations need to do today in planning and adopting IoT, you know, whether in the OT space or in the IT space, is lean forward. You know, look at the competitive advantages you're going to get. Uh, look forward over the medium and longer term and make choices about what's good for your business. And leaning on the experience in the industrial world, you know, standards like IEC 62443, concepts like cryptographic zoning, um, and other good developments that are coming out of the combined uh, world of IT and OT. This gives you a path to follow to securely achieve the benefits that IoT offers. Chris Blask, I tell you, it has been a lot of fun chatting with you here today. Thanks so much for carving out some time for us on our podcast. Thank you very much, and thanks everyone for listening. That brings to a close this episode of the Digital Workplace Deep Dive. I'm your host, Weston Morris. Thanks for listening.